Hi, and welcome to Sidebar, Fine Law's Bite Size Episodes. Uh, today I'm joined by Vedi Himeta. Hi, Vedi. Hey, Joe. How are you? I'm good. We did not manage to round up a third person for this episode. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to get that one out of the way because it's, it's just too easy. Uh, today is going to be full of low-hanging fruit. That one was not actually on purpose. I can't control it, Joe. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, and I should introduce myself here too, probably. I'm Joe, the uh, this week's host. So bear with me while Laura is out and Andy is out. They're our <laughs> usual uh, main hosts here. So it's because we have the birthday folks host in this week. It's true. Yeah, we just we just realized that, didn't we? We both have birthdays yeah. this week. So happy birthday to us. Yeah, back at you, Joe. <laughs> um, so what are we talking about? We are actually going to talk about Monsanto, which everybody has probably heard of Monsanto, but they're involved in some really interesting litigation. And I know, Vedahi, you've done a lot of research, and uh, some of the stuff that's going on with the Roundup lawsuits is is pretty interesting. So I'm hoping you could tell our listeners about that a little bit. For you gardeners out there, you may be familiar with the company Monsanto as the makers of the weed killer, a very popular weed killer called Roundup. Um, Monsanto was bought a couple of years ago by Bayer, which is another household name. It's German. It's one of the largest pharma companies out there. And it's also a biotech company. Um, but what we're talking about is what is now one of their child companies, Monsanto. So they make weed killers. And I was actually a huge chem geek back in the day. Um, oh, really? I know you guys did not. Yeah, I was a chem major. I was really into it. I thought I was gonna, I thought I would be uh, in chem academia out there instead of right here podcast hosting. Uh. And uh, I might have more insights if I were, but uh, I would put you guys to sleep. <laughs> and I know you didn't sign up to be put to sleep by a chemistry lecture. Instead, you signed up to be put to sleep by a law lecture. You made the right choice, Vady. Hey, this is a lot more fun than working in a lab somewhere. Oh man. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it short. <laughs> Basically, this is what you guys need to know about how Roundup works. Okay. Roundup is just a brand name owned by Monsanto for um, an herbicide or an otherwise known as a weed killer, which is just as opposed to pesticides, right? It tackles plants and not bugs. It's a product that's based on the chemical glyphosate, which is the generic active ingredient. So now there are actually other brands out there besides Roundup. But these glyphosate-based herbicides are some of the most commonly used herbicides in the country. So everyone from big ag to small farmers to foresters to hobby gardeners like us, maybe? Yeah. Joe, do you garden? Yep. And I have used Roundup before. I, I have some in the garage, actually. I remember I took a master gardening class um, back in the day, which is like garden boot camp and um, taught by a public university. So like they should be the authority on best practices and safe practices. And they were just talking about Roundup and how much we should use it. And they were endorsing it all the time, like did not warn oh, us really? about any problems with it whatsoever. So ah. point is a lot of people use it and a lot of um, authorities endorse it. So what is it though? Okay, so it's a glyphosate, um, which is, all you really need to know about a glyphosate is that it, it kills plants, but it kills almost all plants because 
most plants need this enzyme, um, not the enzyme glyphosate, this other enzyme that I do not remember the name of. Most plants need this particular <laughs> other enzyme to grow. And what glyphosate does, uh, glyphosate, aka Roundup, it blocks that necessary enzyme. So plants then can't grow, they turn yellow, they die. So it's not really so much a weed killer as a plant killer because weeds are just plants, right? It's a matter of perspective. Okay, so yeah, why why is that good? Why is that yeah, good the, for, yeah. for farmers to, to kill their plants, right? Um, that is a great question. So the part two of this Monsanto development is back in the 70s, Monsanto is they're developing this chemical roundup that I just talked about, but at the same time, Monsanto is developing GMOs, genetically modified organisms. And I know this term can be kind of contentious and we are not scientists, it's not a science podcast, so Yeah, let's not Yeah, yeah let's not, not gonna, get into not gonna, that. Yeah, Monsanto it doesn't matter. Monsanto is not unique for creating GMOs and that's not why it's involved in litigation here, okay? So that aside, what they did was they modified crops, right, GMOs. They made crops to not die when they were sprayed with glyphosate, aka Roundup. And these are commonly known as Roundup Ready crop varieties. Like Roundup Ready, if you hear that term, it just means that they're ready for Roundup, but they can take it. They've been modified to, to, to tolerate it. So now there's different ways to make GMOs and some, some are as simple as selective breeding and cross-pollinating to make a hybrid variety. And some are as invasive as genome editing, where you take a slice of DNA and you introduce it into like the genome of the crop. Either way, what you end up with is that you change the DNA of the organism permanently and you get essentially a new product. And the way that patent law works in agriculture, at least, is if you make what is considered a sufficiently novel, that's the term used um, by patent courts, if you make a sufficiently novel GMO, there's like different standards that patent courts and Supreme Courts use. We don't need to get into details of patent law in this episode. But basically, in a lot of cases, you can patent a new crop under, under certain circumstances. So Monsanto, they when they developed these GMOs that were resistant to Roundup, which again means that they, the crops could tolerate Roundup, they would survive, but the weeds that they're trying to kill would not be Roundup ready. So that the idea is that, that they would die. And so Monsanto patented Roundup ready crops for lots of things like corn, soy, cotton, sugar beets, which used to make sugar, canola, like among lots of other things. And these are all major crops. These are staples of our society. And a huge chunk and a majority of our country's agricultural yield started incorporating these modified crops to grow. So for example, in, in 2005, which is actually quite a while ago, so I don't know what it is by now, but in 2005, <laughs> 87% of soybeans in the US were Roundup ready soybeans. This is an issue if you're in a farming state such as myself. Uh, I'm in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. This has been a long-standing issue. There's a lot of considerations besides just the GMO with the economics of things. Yeah. So if you've heard of this before, a lot of it affects small farms and that sort of thing. So this has actually been in the news for quite some time about how some of the larger companies like Monsanto and Cargill mm -hmm. use GMO-modified crops because it's a way for them to 
almost not quite get a monopoly on things um, because once you start using crops that are designed to specifically work with their product, Mm -hmm. well, then suddenly you're kind of stuck with using their product. And people are using crops that are effective with their product because their product is very effective. Absolutely. And used in conjunction Mm -hmm. with it. So it's 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 changing yields everywhere. Like it's definitely revolutionized our our, um, crop produce in the country. So it's like in order to be competitive, like if you're if your competitor is using these Roundup ready crops with Roundup and your yields aren't as good, like of course you're gonna use that, right? But of course, patents don't last forever. Plant patents, they last 20 years. So over the recent decades, it's not just Monsanto. Um, Monsanto has been losing some of their patents, although they do try to sort of extend them in a way with loopholes like making it extra robust, like not just Roundup resistant, but resistant to other herbicides. But mm. that is all to say, now that their patents are expiring, like they've gotten competitors out there making generic versions of Roundup, so it's like expanding even more. So basically, like everyone was using glyphosate-based herbicides once they could get in. And of course, the use of GMOs was opposed um, starting, this was in the 70s when it started, and since then, GMOs and Roundups and glyphosate was opposed by food safety advocacy groups and and even farmers and other interest groups. But Monsanto is unsurprisingly a, a lobbying powerhouse. They're huge. No, really? Uh, especially now they're bigger, right? <laughs> Jeez. It's like one giant ate another giant. Yeah. Um, I, I did have to laugh a little bit when you called them a, a child company, Monsanto. Right. <laughs> it's like, really? It's an overgrown <laughs> right. child. It's an adult child. Yeah, exactly. So now we have a country spraying glyphosate around everywhere. And over the 40 years from when it started in 1974 to just 2014, Three billion pounds of glyphosate have been used in our country's agriculture sector, which sounds like a lot. I don't. That know, does probably. seem like a lot. Yeah, I don't really have anything to compare that <laughs> number no to. But exactly, at three billion of anything has got to be significant, <laughs> right? There is a snag, of course. Dun dun dun. The problem comes from relatively recent allegations, um, eventually leading to multiple lawsuits now about the health effects of glyphosate on humans. Americans over the past decade or so have pointed to Roundup as the cause of health effects such as certain types of cancer, notably non-Hodgkin lymphoma, also called NHL. And I'm going to call it that. And remember, we're not talking about hockey, guys. Well, maybe you're not, but I might be. Oh, my gosh. We'll see. These trials have been all over the place, notably, of course, in Monsanto's founding city of St. Louis. Shout out to Andy's town. (laughs) Andy, I know you only listen to episodes that you're not on, so I think that's adorable. This is a true fact. Andy has never heard an episode. He says he listens to the ones that he's not on. He just hates hearing his voice, which is crazy because all of my friends, Andy's is their favorite voice. Andy's got a great voice. Um, great yeah, voice. Sure. <laughs> All that is to say, so we got we got the notable one in their home city, St. Louis, but we also have other trials scheduled for later this year and next year in all kinds of states from California to Florida to Hawaii. Monsanto slash Bayer are insisting that this, there is no evidence um, that glyphosate or Roundup cause cancer, but 
still it has spent the last several years trying to settle most of these cases and it's been paying cancer patients and families and they have paid out more than 130 million dollars so far to winning plaintiffs at the first three trials we're not doctors so we're not saying Mm -hmm. that glyphosate causes cancer or roundup causes cancer what we are saying is that of course bayer denies the allegations. There are conflicting studies on it. Of course, the plaintiffs in the lawsuit point to their own studies saying that there's a clear connection. Plaintiffs' attorneys point to a clear connection. We're not a jury, so we're not here to say who's right and who's wrong. I think neither of those stances are surprising, and neither is the fact that Bayer is paying out money because a lot of times it's cheaper for companies to settle rather than going through the process. So we're not saying that Bayer paid out $6 billion because it admitted that Monsanto you know, that it's causing cancer. This is very similar to our episode last week in which choosing to take the stand should not be evidence of your of your guilt or sorry, not choosing exactly. to speak. Shouldn't be, should it be inferred? Nothing should be inferred from the fact that companies settle because like you said, it's the easier option even if you didn't do anything Exactly. Wrong. Also too, going along with kind of the mixed science, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency is playing a surprisingly front and center role in this litigation because Bayer has really relied on an EPA studies or perhaps several studies that have said that glyphosate is not correlated with cancer and that there is no evidence of an increased risk. But that is also in conflict with some other studies uh, done in Europe or, you know, like I think the WHO feels differently. And so each side is kind of pointing to the other and saying, you know, this study was biased. It was done by Monsanto or the EPA didn't follow its own regulations in conducting this study. So there's a lot of evidence out there that juries are having to sift through to say, okay, I think that the EPA is or is not right on this versus the WHO or some other independent studies. And so that's kind of where we're at on the scientific evidence front. I'm guessing that it's a little confusing to people to hear about multiple class actions being settled or going to trial because I think, you know, the common understanding is a class action is one representative plaintiff that represents an entire class of people. And then the court treats that representative plaintiff as if everybody in that class was that one plaintiff. So it's basically the the plaintiffs have this nominated, not a leader, but essentially a, a representative of the class. And then if that person wins or loses, that that happens to the entire class. Um, And so that is what happens in a class action lawsuit. But mass torts is a very complicated topic, and I'm, I'm sorry to get into the weeds on this one, but there's a difference between class actions and multi-district litigation, which stands for, which is MDL, stands for multi-district litigation. And these are very related, but two separate things. So in a multi-district litigation, what it's doing is taking individual plaintiffs in district courts from all around the country and combining them for pre-trial Uh, motions and discovery and things. But each individual plaintiff is still their own plaintiff. They still have their own lawyer. They're still going to get their own settlement. But the court thinks, so basically they don't qualify to be in a class together. But 
by combining these, the court saves resources and uh, there aren't multiple requests from Bayer for discovery. So it speeds things up and makes things more efficient. But the plaintiff themselves is not representing a class. They're just kind of combining and then everybody goes their separate ways when there's a settlement or a trial. And so that's why you can see three cases where plaintiffs won and four cases where plaintiffs lost. Because even though they went through the same pretrial procedures, they went to trial individually. And so juries can reach different conclusions. And you can see how a jury could come to different conclusions because, you know, there are legitimate studies on both sides of the issue. So generally, you know, the first case in an MDL that goes to trial is called a bellwether trial. And that is usually a good test for whether you're going to get settlements or not. If, if you're a plaintiff in an MDL, uh, in this case, Bayer did lose at the Bellwether trial, which is probably one of the reasons why they're settling. But they've also gone to trial and had some success. I mean, they've won, what, the last four? Yeah, it's been mixed, right? They lost three and won four. Yeah, so it's really kind of up in the air. And that's why this litigation is so interesting, because if you're a plaintiff, you don't really know whether you should go to trial or whether you should settle. If you're Bayer, you don't really know if you should settle or go to trial because there's close to a 50-50 chance either way, right? So it really complicates the negotiations, but that's the reason why we can get different verdicts. Well, we won't know what's going to come until a couple of years and many, many cases to go. Thanks for listening to Sidebar from Fine Laws Don't Judge Me. We'll be releasing these every other week between our full-length episodes. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if there's a topic you'd like to hear us cover, send us an email at finelawpodcast at thompsonreuters.com. 